Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Hi YouTube, it's Joshua Miles and welcome back to my channel. In today's video, we're going to be discussing another solved case for my Curious Case series. This case was actually requested by one of you guys over on requestthecase.com. So if you have any cases you would like me to cover on this channel, then jump over there and send in your submissions. I've just launched a brand new newsletter and text messaging list. So if you want to get a text and an email when a video goes live or to receive other exclusive announcements, then you can sign up for free at joshmiles.co forward slash sign up. Before we delve into this case, I'd just like to give a massive thank you to the people over at Surfshark for teaming up with me to bring you this episode. Even with the world currently on lockdown, it doesn't mean your location has to be. With Surfshark, you can never run out of content to watch. Surfshark is a VPN service that allows you to easily change your location, which gives you access to a variety of Netflix libraries from different countries across the world. The show or film you want to watch not available in your country, simply switch your location. And you can do that on every device you own, as Surfshark allows you to use one subscription on an unlimited amount of devices. You know just as well as I do that some of the stuff we Google when researching cases can be considered a little bit strange. The beauty of Surfshark is that it hides your personal information and your searches from the government so you don't have to worry about one day finding yourself on the FBI watch list because you were researching Ted Bundy. I also use Surfshark to access news sources that have restricted access to just their country, meaning it allows me to research deeper by pretending to be in the case's location and just for you, Surfshark have given us a discount code to get 85% off your subscription as well as a further three months for free. Surfshark also offers a 30-day money-back guarantee so there's absolutely no risk if you're unsure about whether or not you need a VPN. So be sure to click the link at the top of my description or the link in the pinned comments, grab a subscription to Surfshark and stay protected online. As always, make sure you're subscribed to this channel and you've hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time I post a brand new Curious Case episode. And with all that being said, let's delve right into this case. Throughout the 1960s and 1970s, a masked man terrorised the north of England with a series of robberies and murders. Committing over 400 burglaries without being caught, he earned the nicknames of The Phantom and Handy Andy. He would adopt a different MO every few weeks to throw the police off his scent. But who was this masked menace, and how far would his greed take him? One night in February of 1972, 
A break-in at a small post office in Hayward, Lancashire, was reported to the police. The postmaster, Leslie Richardson, and his wife had woken up to find a hooded man in their bedroom in the flat they shared above the post office. Seeing this, Richardson jumped into action to take down the man while his wife called the police. While Richardson was fighting the intruder, a sawn-off shotgun was pulled on him. The masked man claims that it was loaded. Leslie wanted to find out if the man was telling the truth, saying, quote, We'll see if it's loaded. He pointed the man's gun at the ceiling and forcibly pulled the trigger, shooting two holes into the roof. A struggle ensued, during which Leslie Richardson was shot, but he didn't let go of the intruder. To get Leslie to release his grip on him, the hooded man stomped on Leslie's feet and kneed him in the groin, breaking some of his toes in the process. And as Leslie Richardson lay on the floor in agony, the intruder made his getaway empty-handed. Luckily, Leslie survived the attack. At some point during the fight, the intruder's hood was pulled off and Leslie was able to see his face, and so was able to give the police a description of what the man looked like. However, this sadly turned out to be inaccurate and couldn't help to identify the masked intruder who had endangered the lives of both Leslie Richardson and his wife. It wasn't until two years later, on the 15th of February 1974, that the masked man would strike again. This time, he broke into a small post office in Harrogate, North Yorkshire, in the middle of the night. Above this post office lived the 54-year-old postmaster, Donald Skepper, along with his wife and son, Richard. The masked man entered Richard's bedroom and tapped him on the shoulder to wake him, explaining to the boy that if there was no trouble, nobody would be hurt. Holding the postmaster's son at gunpoint, he forced him to go and get the keys from the post office safe from his father's bedside table. But the noise in the bedroom disturbed Donald, who woke up and turned on his bedside lamp to find a man wearing a hood waving a shotgun at him and repeatedly shouting at Donald to turn out the bedroom lights. Donald then grabbed the gun and tried to wrestle it out of the intruder's hands while shouting, quote, Go on, finish him off, Richard, to his son. This only ended in tragedy for the Skepper family as, at some point during the struggle, the trigger on the gun was pulled and, because the safety was off, Donald Skepper was shot. He died instantly. The mysterious man didn't just stop at this murder. Seven months later, on the 6th of September 1975, he broke into a post office in Baxedon, Lancashire. The postmaster, 43-year-old Derek Astin, and his wife, along with their two children, lived in a flat above the post office and awoke to find a small figure dressed head-to-toe in black clothing, standing near the closet in their bedroom. Derek quickly jumped into action to push the intruder out of the bedroom and onto the landing. His wife then handed him a small vacuum cleaner and said, quote, hit him with this. But then Derek Astin was shot. Bravely though, and in spite of being severely injured, he managed to push the masked intruder down the stairs of the house. Sadly, however, Derek Astin passed away shortly after this. After the shooting, the man fled into the night. It was this murder that earned the killer the nickname of the Black Panther. 
During an interview with a local reporter, Derek Astin's wife described his killer as, quote, so quick he was like a panther. Referencing the man's dark clothing, the reporter ended his segment by asking the question, where is this black panther? And from that point on, he was referred to by the media and the public as the Black Panther. The Black Panther struck again just two months after Derek Astin's murder at a post office in Langley, West Midlands. In the early evening of the 11th of November 1974, postmistress Margaret Grayland had closed up the post office, with her husband Sidney staying to balance the books and lock up the bag. Upon hearing a loud bang from the storeroom, she decided to investigate. This is where she found her 54-year-old husband, Sidney Grayland, lying on the floor, having been shot in the stomach. She immediately dropped to her knees to help him, but sadly, she couldn't do anything to save him. His last words to her were, quote, Watch it, Peg. I've been hit. As Margaret was kneeling over her husband, an intruder pounced on her, brutally beating her around the head. He attacked her so savagely that he fractured her skull in three places and left her within an inch of her life, before fleeing the scene with £800 in cash and postal orders. A police officer discovered the crime at around 11pm that evening, when he noticed the lights were still on inside the post office. He noticed that the door to the storeroom was slightly open, and so he shone his torch inside. This is when the officer saw Sidney Grayland's body lying motionless on the floor. Then he heard a groan coming from the corner of the room. When he shone his torch in the direction of the sound, he found the brutally beaten Margaret Grayland. Margaret was found with the upper parts of her body covered in boxes and a hat stand lying on top of them. By the time she reached the hospital, Margaret was deeply unconscious and was in a severe state of shock. Luckily, she survived the attack, but she couldn't properly describe her attacker or what he was wearing. Before the attack on Sydney and Margaret Grayland, the postal service had offered a £10,000 reward for any information that led to the arrest of the Black Panther. As a result of Sydney's murder, this reward was raised to £25,000. However, the Black Panther still remained at large. So who was the Black Panther? Donald Nappy was born on the 1st of August 1936 in Bradford, West Yorkshire. He was said to have had a troubled childhood, with his mother passing away from breast cancer when he was just 10 years old. Donald's criminal behaviour began at a young age. When he was 12 years old, he was caught breaking into a shop. However, he was let off with a police caution because of his age and circumstances. One of his childhood friends described Donald as, quote, small, weary, energetic, and quite fit. He seemed to enjoy playing at soldiers, fighting, wrestling, anything where he could show his physical prowess. So it wasn't a shock to those who knew him that when he left school, Donald joined the army. He served as a national serviceman in the King's own Yorkshire Light Infantry, touring in Kenya, Aden, and Cyprus. It was during his time in the army that he discovered his lifelong love for guns and military attire. In April 1955, when he was 18, Donald Nappy married 20-year-old Irene Tate, who managed to persuade him to leave the army life behind to settle down in Bradford. In 1960, Irene gave birth to their first daughter, Catherine. 
During his time at school and in the army, Donald had been relentlessly bullied due to his surname, which is similar to the British word nappy, meaning diaper. This led to him having a strong hatred towards his surname from an early age, and so unsurprisingly, four years after Catherine's birth, Donald changed the family name from Nappy to Nielsen, claiming that he didn't want his daughter to endure the same amount of bullying that he had gone through throughout his life. There are two theories as to why he chose the name Nielsen. One is that he bought a taxi business from a man named Nielsen, and so he wanted to use that name instead of his original surname. Another theory comes from a woman who lodged with the Nielsens in the early 1960s. She claims that Donald would frequently buy ice cream for his daughter from an ice cream van that had the name Nielsen on it, and that one day he turned to her and just said, I like that name. After his stint in the army, Donald tried multiple times to become an entrepreneur. He tried to earn a living as a carpenter before buying both a taxi firm and a security firm, but all of his business ventures were unsuccessful. This was when he decided he would turn to crime. Donald became a career burglar, committing over 400 robberies without being detected to support his family. But he got greedy and turned to raiding post offices instead, which is where the string of murders began. Donald Nielsen struck again in the early hours of the 14th of January 1975. Inspired by reading stories of kidnapping and ransom plots in the United States, he set out to commit his biggest crime yet. Donald had read in an article in newspaper about the legacy of a sum of £82,500 that 17-year-old Leslie Whittle had received from her father George, who owned Whittle Coaches in Kidderminster. The Black Panther decided he wanted in on that fortune. After meticulously planning, he arrived at the Whittle family home in Highley, Shropshire, in the early hours of the 14th of January, 1975. Expecting there to be a burglar alarm, Donald Nielsen cut the phone lines outside the home and broke into the house through the garage. After locating Leslie's bedroom, he went inside. He gagged her and forced her outside to his green Morris car where he tied her up and laid her down on the back seat. She was wearing only her dressing gown and slippers. He then left a ransom note written on Dymo tape demanding £50,000 for Leslie's safe return, warning the family not to call the police. This ransom note was so detailed that the strip of Dymo tape that it was typed on was over a foot and a half long. Nielsen drove the terrified girl to Bathpool Park in Staffordshire, where he forced her down the drainage shaft of a nearby reservoir. There, he tethered Leslie to the side of a shaft with a wire noose, placed a hood over her head, and forced her to record a message on a tape recorder so he could play it to her family over the phone. In the one minute, 29 second long tape, she can be heard saying, quotes, Mum, it's okay. I got a bit wet, but I'm dry now. In that same recording, she also gave her family details of where to drop the ransom money. Although told not to, the Whittle family called the police anyway, but made sure Nielsen was kept in the dark. Due to the magnitude of the case, Scotland Yard became involved in the investigation and planned to rescue Leslie and catch the Black Panther simultaneously. 
Leslie's brother Ronald was the one who took on the task of dropping off the ransom money. He was told to locate a torch behind a phone box near Bathpool Park and to wait for a flashing signal from the Black Panther's torch before dropping the money. Ronald set off but was unfamiliar with the area so he got lost, arriving about 90 minutes late. He was also unable to locate the torch left for him by the Black Panther. After the failed ransom drop, a search of the park was conducted, but it revealed nothing. One week later, West Midlands Police contacted West Mercia Police. They had located a car left near a Freightliner railway terminal in Dudley, which was where a security guard named Gerald Smith had been shot and injured. This shooting had happened on the same night as the failed ransom drop in Bathpool Park. The car was a green Morris, and inside was a cassette tape with Leslie Whittle's voice on it, as well as her slippers and a roll of plastic tape. This meant it was extremely likely that the person who was responsible for the shooting of Gerald Smith was also the same person responsible for kidnapping Leslie, the Black Panther. Investigators were also able to confirm that the gun used in the shooting of Gerald Smith had also been used in the murder of Sidney Grayland, therefore confirming their suspicions of the cases being connected. This lead, however, ran dry, and Gerald Smith sadly passed away from his injuries just over a year after the attack. While all of this had been happening, there had been a news blackout about the case. This was in place to keep the Black Panther unaware of the police involvement in the case and was an attempt to keep Leslie safe from further harm. However, this was lifted in February of 1975, one month after Leslie's disappearance. A month later, on the 5th of March, Ronald Whittle, alongside the chief of police, appeared together on TV in an appeal for information regarding Leslie's whereabouts. As a result of this appeal, a headmaster at a local school came forward with some crucial information. He told police that a pupil had brought him a piece of Dymo tape found in Blackpool Park that said, drop suitcase into hole. It was also mentioned that another pupil had brought him a torch wedged in the grills of what locals called the glory hole which was a ventilation shaft on a tunnel in the park. This prompted a full search of the area, with over 400 officers becoming involved. Although the public did ask many questions as to why this wasn't done sooner. When the first of two shafts along the Bathpool drainage system was opened, police found a Dymo tape machine and a roll of Dymo tape, which signified that they were on the right track. It gave investigators that hope that they might find Leslie alive. However, when the second drainage shaft was opened, police uncovered a tragic scene. On a ledge, partway down the shaft was a mattress and a rolled up sleeping bag that had been used as a pillow. Hanging below this ledge was the body of 17-year-old Leslie Whittle. The wire attached to her neck had gotten caught on a fixture in the shaft, making it slightly too short to reach the bottom. Her feet were only seven inches from the ground. A post-mortem examination revealed that she had died of shock rather than of strangulation, meaning her heart had stopped beating when she fell. Once Leslie's body had been found, the search for the Black Panther became frantic but it was nine months before the Black Panther was captured. 
He was eventually arrested by two police officers on a routine patrol outside a post office near Mansfield in Nottinghamshire in December of 1975. They noticed Nielsen, aka the Black Panther, acting suspiciously and spoke to him asking him some routine questions. Donald Nielsen refused to answer those questions and instead pulled out a shotgun, hijacking the patrol car that the officers were in. He demanded to be taken to Blidworth in Nottinghamshire. The officer who was driving decided to take drastic action before either of them got seriously injured. Swerving the car, he slammed on the brakes and skidded into a curb outside a fish and chip shop where customers rushed to help the officers subdue and arrest him. During the chaos, one of the officers ended up being shot by the Black Panther. However, the public attacked the Black Panther so much so that he had to be protected from them. Donald Nielsen was taken to the police station and searched. There, he confessed to the kidnap and murder of heiress Leslie Whittle. His fingerprints were taken and police were able to match them to one taken from the drainage shaft at Bathpool Park. When officers searched the house he lived in with his wife and daughter, they discovered a large number of guns and paraphernalia that had been used in the crimes. Bizarrely, they even found a model of a black panther. The attic of the house was found to be full of weapons, masks and gloves, which were all used as evidence linking him to the post office murders and the death of Leslie Whittle. Some of the notes taken during the investigation were actually destroyed as police didn't want to cause, quote, irreparable damage in families, which makes you wonder what exactly was uncovered during their inquiries. During trial at Oxford Crown Court, the Black Panther's defence lawyer contended that Leslie had accidentally fallen from the ledge and died as a result. He told the court that Donald Nielsen had fed her chicken soup, spaghetti and meatballs, and brought her fish and chips, chicken legs, and even a packet of polo mints. The prosecution argued against these claims as the post-mortem conducted on Leslie's body found that her stomach had been completely empty at the time of her death, which meant she hadn't eaten for at least three days. She had also only weighed 96 pounds and was extremely emaciated which led prosecutors to conclude that Donald Nielsen hadn't fed the girl at all. In July of 1976, Donald Nielsen was convicted of the kidnapping and murder of Leslie Whittle and was handed a life sentence. Three weeks later, he was convicted of the murders of Donald Skepper, Derek Astin and Sidney Grayland. He received life sentences for each of these murders. The defence told the courts that Donald had targeted post officers for his raids as, quote, the money there belonged to the government, so it wasn't a loss to anybody, and he figures that if it was a loss to the government, they could just go and print more money. However, this was not taken into consideration during the sentencing. He was also handed a further 61-year sentence, which included 21 years for the kidnapping of Leslie Whittle, 10 years for blackmailing her mother, and three further sentences of 10 years, each for burglary charges where he stole guns and ammunition, and for possessing a sawn-off shotgun with intent to endanger life. Donald Nielsen's defense team claims that his conviction was a reflection of public opinion. They said that it was due to the publicity given to the case and said he should have been convicted only of manslaughter rather than murder. 
However, the courts didn't sway on their decision. Donald Nielsen was acquitted of the attempted murders of sub-postmistress Margaret Grayland and a police officer, although he was found guilty of the lesser charges of inflicting grievous bodily harm on Margaret and of possessing a shotgun with the intent of endangering life at Mansfield. A charge of attempted murder against security guard Gerald Smith, who Nielsen had shot six times while checking the ransom trail, cannot be pursued due to legal complications. This was because Gerald had died over a year and a day after being shot. After his conviction, Donald Nielsen, or the Black Panther's wife, Irene, was also put on trial. She was charged with cashing over 80 stolen postal orders that Donald had stolen during his post office raids. She claims that she had been forced by her husband to cash these postal orders in various post offices over a large area. Her solicitor placed the blame solely on Donald Nielsen's military background and domination of his wife. He described Donald as a Svengali who had exercised an hypnotic influence and said he was a quasi-military figure who barked orders and woe betide anybody who disobeyed him. Irene's defence team pressed for her to be fined. They asked the magistrates if she really deserved to be treated harshly for a situation that had been forced upon her, especially considering the fact she was a first-time offender. However, the magistrates said that while they sympathised for her, they considered her activities to be a deliberate course of conduct. She was sentenced to 12 months in prison for her crimes. Her lawyers immediately filed for an appeal. Donald Nielsen was produced as a surprise witness for the appeal. However, the judges found his testimony to be vague and they upheld Irene's conviction. Irene Nielsen served eight months in prison before being released with full remission for good behavior. Following subsequent legal judgments in various other cases and the implication of the European Union human rights laws, Nielsen was confirmed on numerous occasions to be on the Home Office's list of prisoners with whole life tariffs, meaning the Black Panther was in prison for good. A succession of Home Secretaries ruled that life should mean life for Donald Nielsen. In 2008, he applied to the High Court to have his minimum term reverted to 30 years. However, the court upheld the whole life tariff, with the judge saying, quote, this is a case where the gravity of the applicant's offences justifies a whole life order. Also stating that, quote, the location and manner of Leslie Whittle's death indicates that she must have been subjected by the applicant to a dreadful and horrific ordeal. Donald Nielsen's life and crimes were actually turned into a film shortly after his conviction. Donald Sumter played the title role in The Black Panther, which was directed by Ian Merrick and released in 1977. At the time of its release, the film was met with heavy criticism from the press and the public alike. Sue Lawley, a British broadcaster and presenter, even insulted the director on national television, claiming that he had made, quote, a sick movie, even though she had not actually seen the film herself. Donald Nielsen died on the 18th of December 2011 after being taken from the Norwich prison to Norwich University Hospital with difficulties breathing the day before. His death was attributed to motor neuron disease. After his death, the Black Panther film was remastered and added to the British Film Institute's archives and Hall of Fame, garnering rave reviews and eventually being released on DVD in 2012. And that's everything that I have for you in today's case. 
This case is one of many tragedy and one of a man who was pushed to a life of crime and then took it way, way too far. Uh, a man who was troubled from early childhood and was bullied throughout his life, who experienced trauma from the death of his parents. But even so, it doesn't justify, with all that trauma, it doesn't justify his actions. And I do believe the life sentence was was what, what he deserved in this case. There are very many people who are bullied relentlessly at school. There are very many people who have lost parents and those people don't turn to a life of crime. If you, he, Donald Nielsen wanted to become an entrepreneur and when his businesses failed, instead of just going and getting a, you know, a regular job, going working at the supermarket like the average person would, he turned to a life of crime and destroyed the lives of a number of families. But what do you think about this case? Let me know in the comment section down below. Be sure to keep yourself protected online with your Surfshark membership. Surfshark has given us a discount code to get 85% off your subscription along with an extra three months for free. They also offer a 30 day money back guarantee so there's absolutely no risk uh, if you're unsure about whether or not you need a VPN. So be sure to click the link at the top of my description or the link in the pinned comments, grab a subscription to Surfshark and stay protected and safe online. It's companies like Surfshark that help keep this channel afloat and allow me to bring you more content like this. Make sure you're subscribed to this channel and you've hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time I post a brand new true crime case just like this one. My social media handles on both Twitter and Instagram are at It's Joshua Miles. Follow me on those platforms for behind the scenes contents and announcements and all things me. And with all that being said, I'll see you in the next case.